too much horror business driving late at night psycho 78 12 o'clock don't be late i said all this horror business greetings and salutations my name is justin lore and i'm liam o'donnell you're listening to episode 89 of horror business horror business 89. What what happened that was cool in 89 besides like Ronald Reagan not being a president anymore? Um that's a good question actually. Uh I think in 89 the uh One Last Wish record got released. Okay. I think also in 89 I feel like 89 might have been like the second leeway record maybe or I don't know. I so there was some cool stuff in 89 I feel like. Yeah, let me see. Uh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Dun, dun, dun. Start Today was released in 1989. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's all we need to say. That's all, literally all we need to it, say. It's hard to remember with Start Today because didn't that come out? Like, wasn't by 89 they weren't even really playing shows anymore? No, I think by 89 it was like uh, Walter had largely moved on and like Civ had just like kind of been like, eh, whatever. But they still had this fucking banger of a record under their belt. So, I mean, that was a regular thing back then. Like when you look at uh, how late the um, Embrace and uh, Rights of Spring stuff came out, it all came out after. Like, could you imagine you buy that Rights of Spring record and then you look it up and it's like, oh, they're already Fugazi. Like you've already missed yeah. it. <laughs> if, if, if it's been long over, actually. Yeah, you yeah. Know? That that should happen a lot back then, where stuff came out way after the band had broken up. It happens. It does. It does. Anyway, so uh, Justin, who who do we have to thank for us being here on this episode, as with every episode? Well, I mean, shouldn't we say what we're talking about on this episode first? Okay, whatever. You know what? If you want to do that, that's fine. I just think people should be surprised. I don't fucking know. Sorry. <laughs> I do. I, that is a bold move, and I do respect that. <laughs> but I'm 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 a coward. So. We're going to be talking about 2004's Shaun of the Dead and 2010's Juan of the Dead. To be fair, I, I don't think the movie was available in America in 2010. No, no. I, like, I, don't, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I definitely saw it at Fantastic Fest, and I think it was my first Fantastic Fest, which was 2010. But I think like I saw it at Fantastic Fest in 2010. Then I saw it in Philly, I think in 2012, and it still hadn't been shown in Cuba yet. You know, I don't think it actually uh, played in its home country till 2013. Because the filmmaker would have been killed. <laughs> we'll get it. We'll get yeah, into we'll get the, the good and the bad about the movie. But before we talk about these movies and we get into the good and the bad and the even worse of that movie, <laughs> we are going to take just the smidgen of a moment to thank the people who are helping put this episode out. First off, we'd like to thank our patrons. Thank you so much for the people who listen to this podcast or Cinepunks or any of the other podcasts, and they like they reach into their pockets and they they find it within themselves to, to give a little bit of money, which we are grateful for no matter how much it is, to the cause. And the cause, of course, is in all capital letters, and that cause is World Domination by the Cinepunks Podcasting Group. If you have donated anything, we are eternally grateful to you. And I know we keep saying this. We are going to have 
some stuff for you guys. If you've donated specifically because of horror business, fucking get at me if you haven't already. We have shirts for you guys. And just thank you. It really means a lot that people listen to the bullshit that I say, specifically me. And they're like, no, I want to I wanna take money out of my pocket and give it to them, even though they're associated with a fucking lunatic. I like that. I appreciate that. It makes me feel very good. Because even though money isn't real, the rest of the world thinks it is, and that's all that really matters. <laughs> and we need, yeah, whatever you want, whatever it is you want to do, it's going to cost money at some point. Yeah, we don't make any money off this podcast, but it does cost money to run a podcast and a podcast networking group. So every little bit helps, and every little bit that you give to us is less money that we have to take out of our not full pockets. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, is it true that we should uh, both actually have vibrant careers doing something else because we're both brilliant humans? Yeah, that's probably true, but that's not how the world works, all right? So just give us a, the five bucks, all right? That's just fine. give us five bucks. That's fine. And if you're interested in doing that, you can head to www.patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. And like I said, you will not just be supporting our business, but you'll also be supporting the Cinepunks podcasting group as a whole. We are a pleasant pack of people plaque jesus christ pleasant pack <laughs> of people so if you want to support us that's how you do it and also you know if you just like retweet or you know you you do a little little instagram story or anything like that or you sure, recommend us sure that is also greatly appreciated so yeah we really we really appreciate all the people who tell their friends about us post about us and occasionally actually get in contact and let us know what they think about what we said on an episode the things they appreciate the things that piss them off we want to hear about that and we really love the support yes so if you've supported us in any way no matter how minute just fucking thank you so much uh this episode is also brought to you by the premier screen printing company of the greater lehigh valley area that's lehigh valley apparel creations now Liam, if I said to you, I am a professional wrestler, and somehow I've kept that under wraps from you, um, and I need a t-shirt for my professional wrestling persona, which I am assuming would have to be some, like, uh, fucking mutation of, like, like, something Lovecraftian. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go in blackface, obviously, because I'm not a total monster, but I may, might go in like, like I might paint my face green and call myself like Cthulhu or something like that. And if I had such an asshole, stupid idea like that to make a t-shirt for this hypothetical professional wrestling persona that I made up on the spot, obviously, where would you send me? Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Now, not only does Chris have a long history of working with professional wrestlers, some less professional than others, Dan Champion, he also creates a very quality product. Some would say too quality, because mm. Chris, Chris's mental health is a tenuous thing at best. Every day, the tightrope that Chris walks above absolute fucking madness grows a tiny bit thinner. And in no small part to Chris's obsession with doing the best possible job. And if you're like the rest of us and you want to see Chris plunge into oblivion of just absolute lunacy, you should work towards that by, by getting something made at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations because he will go above and beyond what is reasonable and necessary to make sure that you get the best quality product be it design, be it ink, be it shirt type, whatever it is, to get you exactly what you want, Chris Reject will fucking do. 
I'm tempted to like get hard business shirts made and be like, Chris, in order for these to be the best, per- best possible shirts, you have to cut one of your arms off just to see what would happen. Because I don't know what would happen. Just get a little bit of his blood into every he might, bit of ink. He might do it. Yeah, he might do it. So if you have something that you need a T-shirt made for, if you're like a professional wrestler or you have a podcast or you're in a band um, or whatever, you know, I don't know. I don't know what you people do. I don't. I love when I see what you do, and I love going on Instagram and seeing these Instagram live stories when you're, you're practicing with your band, and I'm like, cool, I'm going to watch this because I really like the creative process that goes behind this stuff, but I don't know. I don't know what some of you people do. It's probably very cool. If you need shirts made for it, go to www.xlvacx.com, and you just it's very self-explanatory. Um, they just revamped the website not too long ago, so it's, it's even more self-explanatory. And I know it was revamped because I heard Chris complain about it until every little thing was perfect. And that just, it just like, just every complaint he had, I could just drizzle over pancakes and just eat it. Because, oh man, Chris's, Chris's suffering is just like, it's like a nice hot cup of coffee. Speaking of which... Oh, yeah. We also are brought to you by our friends over at Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh, Essex Coffee grew out of years of touring by founder Aaron Dahlbeck. Decades. While Aaron was on decades What'd of you touring. Say? Yeah, decades of touring, uh, whether that was in Bain or Converge. Uh, uh, endlessly questing. While Aaron was on tour, he was endlessly questing for that great cup of coffee. Essex has simplified that search by offering the highest quality coffee roasted to order across the country. They are committed to educating customers not only about the varieties of coffee they offer, but methods for achieving the perfect brew at home. As far as Essex is concerned, uh, you don't have to be a coffee expert to enjoy a great cup of coffee. Here's the deal. Aaron's going to get your order, and then he's going to roast your coffee, your order, and then send it to you. Why does that matter? Because a lot of places, because of the bulk or because of just saving money, they just roast in large amounts, and then it sits there. When you buy coffee at a grocery store, that coffee could have been sitting for a year or more before you even Unacceptable. get to brew it. Unacceptable. Why not get the freshest, most quality coffee you can from a guy that has inspired you probably to mosh or to cry at a show once in your life? I want to say I've gotten my nose broken at a Bane set, okay? <laughs> and I don't regret that at all. So... I want to say I watched that Bane documentary and I was brought to tears twice. Um, no joke. Yeah, no. I mean, I've openly wept numerous times when I've seen Bane. So it's like this guy makes music that fucking moves people. I'm, I'm on the cusp of four decades of existence. Over half my life I've spent in all of the fucking art that this man has created. And I'm not a coffee drinker, but I might become one. Just because <laughs> I I have faith that Aaron Dahlbeck can provide us with just fucking balls balls out amazing coffee, and I want to be a part of that coffee experience, and you should too. So if you want if you want to find out this amazing coffee that Liam can attest to because he's apparently been drinking mm. it like water for the past few months. Oh my god, I I'm slurping it down. Yeah. you're gonna head to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Uh, there's coffee there. There's also tea if you're one of these. Uh, 
tea types who wants to get a special uh, kind of tea. Uh, you're not into just getting whatever that crappy brand is you get in the grocery store. You want some loose leaf tea that you are more in control of and you're sure has a has a very particular flavor. They've got that too. They've also got some sick merch over there. So check it out. EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. And enter the promo code CINEPUNKS in all capital letters for 10% off. 10% off, y'all. What are you doing? You should be drinking that coffee right now. I'm gonna, I hope you are. I'm going to say pause this podcast and fucking order something from them right now. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. So now has come the time in the podcast where I drowsily wake up from a night of drinking non-alcoholic beverages with my shitty roommate, who's not really my roommate because it doesn't pay rent. And I stumble to the grocery store to get a Cornetto. Delicious ice cream. <laughs> they make them vegan, I'm assuming, because if they don't, I'm not getting one. And then I find out that the fucking world that I knew is come to an end. The dead have come back from the grave. Um, Morrissey is on the news. I'm sorry, the Smiths are on the news because I have to make that distinction because it's okay to listen to the Smiths, but it's not okay to listen to Morrissey. And I want to point out that I'm fairly certain I told the homie Jake Roberts. Can I call him Jake? I'll call him Jake. Jake Roberts. To put panic in the promo video we're getting made for this, so there we go. Sorry, Josh. Um, panic on the sorry. So in this in this bullshit scenario I've just created, as I'm watching, um, you know, people being devoured alive by 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 literal ghouls. There's just one question in my mind: What has Liam done involving Hart recently? I wish I could say more. I wish I could say more. I have a couple of things, and honestly, I'm really benefiting from the fact that it's been a while since we recorded, so I know there's a couple of things we haven't talked about. Okay. Um, did we discuss in the last episode a movie called The Evil? A movie or a series? A movie. No, we have not. So uh, it's from 1978. Uh, it is directed by Gus uh, Traconis, stars Richard Crenna. Uh, Joanna Pettit, Andrew Prine, uh, and it's like a, uh, it's basically a haunted house movie, but it's uh, one of those haunted house movies that I think really ramps it up in a fun way, and it has a real, like, the the, the people involved in it are themselves, uh, like, scientists, and so they're trying to figure out scientific explanations for what's happening to them, but this haunted house movie is, like, super over the top. Like, they're in the house for just a little while, and the whole house closes, and all these horrible things start happening to them, and they have to come up with some sort of, like, pseudoscience way to escape, and it's very good. It's very, very good. Um, and it's just called The Evil? The Evil. Uh, it's... It, it has vibes of another movie that I don't know if we talked about this or not. Did we talk about Superstition? Yes. Well, we, okay. we talked about that on the, uh, I think we talked about that on Cinepunks. Okay. Well, I love Superstition. I watched that too. Uh, and then the only other thing I watched, I don't think it's a horror movie, but it, it, it has weirdo vibes that I think might appeal to horror fans. Is a movie called Jumbo. Have you heard about this? I, Okay. <laughs> I have heard of it, and I don't know why I'm like sighing exactly because it's because it, it the, the the plot I read intrigues me. I had a chance to see this for Nightstream, and I passed it up. And then I think the homie Kayla sent us a screening, and I also was like, eh. but I, I want to watch it. It looks amazing. I watch so I watched it as part of the Philadelphia Film Fest. It is. I think there's a. Rev- 
I think Justin Liberty reviewed it, and that's why I didn't try to review it. But I, I watched it for Philly Film Fest, and it is um, a weird movie. So it stars the actress whose name I'm forgetting, who was in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Okay. Uh, Noemi Merlant. Uh, she's she's the, the 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 painter in Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and in it she is a. Uh, a woman in her 20s who still lives with her mom who clearly is suffering from some form of social anxiety something she just has she has trouble relating to people and she works at an amusement park and she slowly becomes uh obsessed with one of the rides at the park only it doesn't take long for that obsession to become like she's in love with it and what the movie is really uh deft at is never really breaking like as a rational human watching it you know that some of the experiences she's having with the ride cannot possibly be happening in real life right okay because because the movie is not magical right all everything else in the movie is normal so these experiences have to be in her head but the movie never breaks that for you so if you don't think logically then you believe this is a story about her and the ride falling in love with each other. Okay. But, and not that the ride talks or does like a dance number or anything like that. The ride just occasionally, it lights up for her and it reacts to her. And then in a scene, you know, maybe it bathes her in the oil that helps it run as a sort of sexual act. I don't know. You'll have to watch the movie, man. The point is... She falls for it, and then of course the world thinks that's fucking weird and gross, and then she, you know, has to make some decisions based upon that. So uh, it it was weirdly moving. It's it, I think a real magic trick is making a movie the premise of which is look at this crazy shit, and then midway through this movie where you're just like look at this crazy shit, you're like oh I kind of emotionally care about this crazy shit. That is a magic trick. Oh, absolutely, you know? yeah. When it's like you're watching this movie because it's fucked up that she loves a r- roller coaster ride, and then somewhere in the middle you're like, "Oh, now I'm emotionally invested. I'm invested in this relationship. What the fuck?" But it's very good. It's very good, and it's it's. I think part of why it works is because it manages even when it's taking her very seriously to still be funny. There's yeah. jokes in the movie, but it doesn't play off like a goofy comedy. It's really an uh a lighthearted emotional drama that has some jokes in it. But the jokes are not the point, and that helps those jokes land. If the whole thing was like, look at this fucking fucko, then like it just wouldn't work. It, it would just be silly. Uh, and it's it manages to somehow be moving and silly, and I, and I love that. So, uh, yeah, and it, she's a great actress. She was great in Portrait of Lady on Fire. So uh, I highly recommend people watch it. Again, it played a lot of genre fest. I wouldn't consider it a horror movie, but I understand it pushes the boundaries far enough that like I think horror fans would appreciate the audacity of it, if that makes sense. No, I, um, I can I can fuck with that. Yeah. Other than that, you know, I've I've watched I've had some time to watch a few things. I haven't caught up with a lot of horror. I will say I'm midway through a rewatch of Salem's Lot, but that is a almost three hour commitment, so I haven't quite finished it yet. The Hooper but, uh, the Hooper John? Oh yes. Okay. Oh yes. Uh here's the thing I'm finding because you uh, you well know, and our listeners may not know, the second season of Castle Rock involves a bunch of Salem's Lot stuff, right? Yes. So 
rewatching the the miniseries that Hooper directed, I'm having trouble remembering what was in the book and what is not. In, or you know what I mean? Like when I'm watching something like this, I'm usually thinking like, okay, well, this is what happens in the book. But it's been so long since I've read the book and I have some of the Castle Rocks in my head. I'm like, I don't remember if this is in the book or not. The biggest, the biggest change that always stuck out for me that that they made from the book is arguably the most striking thing from the from the Hooper film, which is the the, the vampire, um, right? Who I I forget what the actor's name is, but he's an amazing actor, and it's it's fucking terrifying. But it's a it's sort of like a like the actual vampire in the book is just a normal guy. And that that oh, that, right. that character um, Richard Straker is just like like Stephen King is like he's like tall he's bald but in the book he's like this like every woman who meets him is like this guy's like really weird but I I kind of want to fuck him like holy shit and then like that guy dies like three quarters of the way book three quarters of the way through because the actual vampire's like I, I can't trust him and then but in the movie it's like they make that guy like the vampire where Kurt Barlow the actual you know, vampire. It's just this, like, oh, hello, it's me, the antique stealer, Kurt Barlow. <laughs> and it's one of those things that when I was younger, I was like, I can't believe they changed it from the book. But now I'm like, nah, it's fine. It's Toby Hooper. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> All right. How about you, Justin? What's been going on with you and your horror uh, diet? Uh, I've watched a couple movies. I watched actually quite a lot of movies, but the ones I'll talk about, um, I watched Vampires versus the Bronx, which I I really liked. I thought that was I enjoyed that as well. Yeah, I um I really really love the fact that like I didn't realize this, and I don't know if it's an actual thing, but I hope it is. Like I really hope there's a generation of like teenagers who look up to Blade the way that like we look at the Lost Boys. Like I think that is such a beautiful phenomenon, and I really hope that's the case out there. I do too. I don't. I I also don't have a sense of how real that is, but. It's possible, right? There's certainly an age group that like DVDs of Blade and Blade Two had to be lying around for people. Oh yeah. Um, I also watched uh, the Mortuary Collection. Sure, it's fine. Um, it, you know, it doesn't have the best wraparound story. So as we know, if it doesn't have a great wraparound story, right? Not gonna. Yeah. Um, I watched a film last night called Thirty Miles from Nowhere. Um, that was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Um, okay. That's on Shutter. That's very good. But the biggest like horror-related thing that's happened to me since we've last recorded is the series finale of Supernatural. My God in heaven. Holy fucking shit. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about it just because like um, there's not a lot I can say without spoiling it. And honestly, I might start fucking crying again. <laughs> Sure, sure. But it's been like a real, it's been like kind of like a real joy that like, that's like the one show that like everyone in my family, like we all like Supernatural. So it's like anytime I go to see my parents when Supernatural's on, it's like that's the one thing that we can all bond over. And it's also been like kind of a joy for me because uh, the homie Carly from The Final Girls, she's been trying to catch up on it. So she's watching like the last couple seasons that, you know, are still kind of like fresh in my mind for me. And she is currently just started like the last season. And I am like waiting for her reaction on something that happened a few episodes back that honestly, like, like, dude, there have been times where I've just been like lying awake at night and I think about that scene and I just start crying. 
because it's sad and because it's such a fucking beautiful moment that was like captured because you can tell the actors like really dug deep into the idea of like this is it like 15 years of my life is over and I'm going to draw upon that to give this fucking banger performance and it just like it, it's fucking bananas um so that's that's been like my horror thing that's been on my mind for the past uh since like Thursday has been um just that finale, just holy shit. It's one of the best television finales I've ever seen, and it wrapped things up in a way that I think a lot of television shows fail to do. Game of Thrones, um, Dexter, uh, pretty much every TV show except for Breaking Bad. Um, so that's, that's what I've been doing, is uh, watching subpar movies on Shudder hmm. and crying over Misha Collins. I do want to bring up that you saw um, the Wolf of Snow, Ho- the Wolf of Snow Hollow. Oh yeah, I definitely said Wolf like you, like me. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I forgot that. I didn't. We didn't talk about that. On, we we talked about that on Cinepunks. That right, movie. Right, right. That movie was so fucking good. That movie cracked my number ten with a fucking bullet for this year. I just I ha I you know I think I mentioned it on this show before, but I I just wanted to bring it up again because we both really liked it, and because I I, I don't see as many people talking about it as I think I should. It's really smart, it's really funny, but it isn't a movie that's more funny than fucked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the anxiety of the movie is still there, even as it's funny. Um. Yeah, but there there were there. Uh, uh, there were a few scenes, and I don't know if this is a spoiler, but I, I could probably, since you've seen it, I can describe the scene to you without giving it away. The scene at the end where one character asks another character to stand up straight. Yes, yes. Dude. Yes. That, that, yes. that made my fucking skin crawl off my body. There was just that, that, something about that visual that was so just goddamn nightmarish. I think that's the thing. Like the if you see the trailer for the movie, it shows scary parts and it shows jokes. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are going to be like, "Oh, so it's a goofy comedy," especially because the dude's last movie was a comedy. But if y'all have seen Thunder Road, then you know Thunder Road, as much as it is funny, is also kind of emotional and hits on like real human stuff. This movie manages to be funny be emotional and have real human stuff in it and then also be scary again not the whole time they're definitely like you know uh moments of release that are more funny than scary but the parts that are meant to be scary are really well done oh my and god really, yeah. some of them are really haunting and it's it's the scene you're talking about yes i would even say some of the attack knowing the 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 budgetary level of this movie which is not super high um I was impressed by a lot of the attacks and how it was handled and uh, some of the special effects and stuff and whatever. I don't want to get into spoilers about why that works the way it does, but it's it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fucking good. I, I also want to say real quick, because um, again, I forgot that we haven't recorded when I, when, you know, when I watch these movies. Um, there's a movie on Netflix right now that is only starting to be talked about on like film Twitter. It's a movie called His House. Yeah. Uh, I can 100% give the hard business stamp of approval on that movie. It is, it, you got to fucking see that movie. And then there's a there's a film on Shudder called Blood Vessel that it's like a vampire movie. The best way I can describe it is like, imagine if um, 
a, like a machine made a movie that was the perfect amalgamation of Aliens, The Thing, and then The Keep with some of the best practical effects and like vampire-like designs, like creature effects that I have ever seen in a movie that wasn't like, you know, made in like the 80s or with like millions of dollars. Like, hmm. it looks like the, I mean, it, the movie itself, it, it's, it's good. I'd say like a B plus, but the creature effects, I was just like, God damn, this looks really fucking good. So that's on Shutter, Blood Vessel, you can check it out. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Possessor, I saw Possessor, that was pretty cool. I like that one a lot. Yeah, it was neat. Um, other than that, I haven't really. I've been writing a lot for this, Justin. You know, I got a. Yeah. I just did one for Toby Hooper's Life Force, his best vampire movie. Um, and then next week, I'm 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 starting a. I I think it's gonna be like a two or three part series on like remakes. I think go the distance over the original. And the first one is Chuck Russell's The Blob. That was a lot of fun to write. I got a chance to watch. Um, I actually rewatched the Steve McQueen version of The Blob for the first time since I was 10 years old. 27 years ago, I watched that movie once. And I was like, God damn, like, I'm really sad that like, I, can't, I couldn't appreciate just like, how fucking charming Steve McQueen is in that movie. I agree. Um, I also watched Beware the Blob, which is a movie that should have never been made, and whoever made it should be fucking fed to the blob because it's hot shit. <laughs> What is there another? I felt like there is there another blob movie besides that one too. Uh, see, I thought there was, but it's just different cuts of Beware the Blob released in like other countries. Oh, like, okay. Like I, I think it's in like I want to say Italy. It's it was released as Son of the Blob because the Blob has a gender. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just it's I don't know. It's just a like a fucking stupid movie. I think I've watched Son of the Blob before. But yeah, I see what you're saying. It's the original title was Beware of the Blob. Yeah. I th- I think I've seen it and it's it's painful. It's a painful experience. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a painful experience in comparison to the original one, which I think is just like fine. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it just anyway, just next week this Justin if you like Chuck Russell's The Blob, uh which I do. Anyone who knows me knows I fucking love that movie. If you want to read about me, go off in the ecstasies about like how they made that movie and what I think, you know, why it's like a condemnation of like Reagan era politics and policies. Um, check that out. I'm into it. All right. So this episode, we're talking about two uh, of the dead movies that are not related to George Romero. Well, you know, tacitly, you could say Shaun of the Dead. He visited the set of... Uh, Shaun of the Dead and Surprise Simon Pegg, sure. which is charming, but sure. no, these are not in the universe of George Romero or, you know, John Russo. No. Mercifully. So <laughs> we're going to take a quick break and when we come back. We're going to talk about 2004's horror comedy, Shaun of the Dead. We'll be right back. ever think that modern life is not for you? Do you do the same dead-end job every day? Is your love life dying on its feet? To a wonderful mom. Have you ever felt that you're turning into... Something in the world. A zombie. Maybe. 
said. Although no one official is prepared to comment, religious groups are calling it Judgment Day. It is vital that you stay in your homes. Avoid all physical contact with the assailants. So, what's the plan? Oh! Bash him in the head, that seems to work out. Why have we got a girl Lizzie? <sighs> because I love her. All right, gay. Okay. Do something! Wait there. Uh, hold it there. I'm coming! And we are back to talk about 2004's horror comedy directed by Edgar Wright, Shaun of the Dead, written by uh, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg. It's about, you know what Shaun of the Dead's about. We don't have to talk about what Shaun of the Dead's about. <laughs> I mean, we do because this is what the episode's on, but we don't have to be like, oh, and then he fucking does this. Um, right off the bat, I'll say this movie. I actually did. Uh, I wrote about this for this Justin a few months back where I truly believe this is one of the two perfect horror comedies that perfectly balance horror comedy and like actual heart, like actual dramatic moments in it. Sure. This yeah. and an American War of London, but I fucking love this movie. Like every time I watch it, I'm just like I fall more in love with it. There's so much you know, like there I mean, there's like the little like sure, the whole like we're coming to get you Barbara and the Fulci's pizza thing, like that's the little nods to like zombie movie history. That's fine, but like I honestly think this movie stands on its own. Um not as a parody, but like as an actual Entry into into uh, the the zombie meat the greater zombie mythos of like horror films as a whole. I think so. I was this is this is kind of a jerky thing to say, but I was impressed that I still like this movie so much. I don't know why, but I I had this feeling of like I'm gonna go back to it and it's still gonna be fun, but it's gonna somehow be less fun. I don't know why. I don't know why I had that sort of cynicism. I think it's just a feeling I have right now about Edgar Wright. You know, yeah. Um, I really didn't like Baby Driver, and I don't know that I'm excited to see what he does next. But if I'm really honest with myself, I think I love all three movies of the Cornetto trilogy with no reserve. Oh, like, absolutely! I think all three are great, but but I, I think because it's been so long since he's done something that I'm really super into, that I'm just went into this a little skeptical. Like, uh, some of the shine's going to be off of this thing, and it's not. Even if you know, like. Half the jokes in the movie I know are going to come. Like, I know them by heart almost. Yeah. Uh, and yet, every moment I'm laughing, I'm moving with it. I'm still like, the, the, the way that. I mean, he does some. This is something he does that actually you never see in a zombie movie, right? All of his zombies are not random. You know, when you're watching a zombie movie, right, a lot of times, maybe not all, but a lot of zombie movies, you're just seeing random people. They're like basically extras. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
in this movie, every zombie you saw once already. Yep. You know? Yep. In the, They've in all the, in been the beginning. in the thing. That decision alone to me is perfect because suddenly it's a reminder like, oh, right. It's not just random humans, right? Like, especially if you don't live in, you live in New York City, it's going to be a lot of like, you know, faceless horde because that's where you live. But if you live like for you in Easton, if there was a zombie breakout in Easton, you're not going to have to smash the brains in of people you don't know. Oh, I'm part. murdering my friends and neighbors. You know, they're right. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It, th- that's, that's how it would be for most people in this country, you know, uh, that, that you would, even if you, at least in your own neighborhood, you'd have to be killing your friends and neighbors or at least people you saw like walking down the street, you know? Yeah. And I think, I, I think this movie does like, I, I, I like I'm, I can feel like the ecstasy rising up inside of me. Like I'm going to start gushing. It's like this, this film is smart enough to, to in the very beginning, very quickly, very effectively, drive home uh, this sort of like Romero-esque idea of like how dull our lives are without even realizing it. You know, there's the scenes where you see people just going through the motions of like going to work, you know, grocery shopping. And then they do that. It's not blatant. It's just the opening credit sequence. And it's, it, 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 it really, it really sets you up for like what you're going to see. You're going to see a movie that, Aside from the title being a pun of the greatest zombie film of all time, it's also following in the footsteps of, footsteps of that movie, which is it's more than just blood and guts and fucking people getting eaten alive. It's actually it's saying something. It's saying that like life is monotonous. And I think like what I wrote about in the edition of this Justin about this movie is this movie is about not accepting adulthood. And you have the main sure. you have the main character who is spinning his wheels, and everyone around him is just like, "Dude, just fucking get your life together." But then you see what life has to offer for him around there, and I'm like, "Why would he bother? Why why would he bother? You know, giving up this life he has with his friends to join these fucking shambling hordes of people who are already dead." Um, and well, but it but it but it does take that away from him a little bit, like. I I know it's a it's a visual joke, right? That he runs into his friend. Uh, what is her name again? Do you remember her name? I wonder, and then she has her own group of people that look exactly like his people. I keep wanting to say it's Mary, but I know it's not that because Mary's the name of the clerk that they killed in the backyard. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Mary, oh, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yvonne, Yvonne. Okay, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Yvonne. So people who know Simon Pegg know that was his co-star of the show that made him famous, right? Him and her and Nick Frost were on this TV show for a long time. And that's why people know who he is. And that was his lady friend on the show. And so having her as a co-star, you know, as a cameo in the movie is like a funny wink at the audience about, yeah, it's Nick or it's uh, Simon Pegg. You know him from the show. However, it's not just that because... um, the idea you get is that she's the same as him yes. in many ways. Yep. And, and in fact, by, a, by picking someone who we associate him with off screen, it, she might as well be his doppelganger in a way. And she has her life together and she's cool. And she's much better at surviving a zombie. The one thing you can say about Sean is like, well, at least he like kind of got through the zombie apocalypse. On accident. Only it turns out she's much better at that than he is. The the only thing he has going for him, she's even better. So I like that the film does this thing where it's like, yeah, it's very much like in the 
um, middle class capitalist nightmare he lives in, why would he want to do anything else? You know, whatever. On the other hand, the possibility is there because of Avant. So the the movie gets to have it both ways to say like, there's a reason Sean is where he's at, but he could be different. Look well, at Avant. Not you know only, what I mean? Not only that, but um, one of the characters in this movie that I think often gets like there. The zombies are the bad guys in this movie, like that. They're they're the villains. Like there there is there is little to none of the whole like humans were the monsters the whole time. Like this movie, the fucking zombies are the bad guys, and then there's Sean's like inability to like really think outside the box, so to speak. But I love the character of Pete because Pete is set up as this like fun hating asshole until you kind of like step outside of like. You know, like we're seeing this through Sean's point of view. When you step outside that point of view, Pete is actually like a completely reasonable human being who's not really being an asshole at all. And it's like we find out that like him and Sean kind of sort of grew up together. And, you know, Pete obviously lives in an apartment with his friend, so he doesn't have his like shit together totally. But like Pete cares about going to work on time. Uh, Pete cares about like the house not being a fucking mess. Pete cares about like being an adult, which is more than you can say about Sean. So it's like sh- Pete only comes off in his ass as an asshole because like he's constantly telling Sean like get your fucking act together, and you know like it- it's it's not like he's not being a prick. It's more like you could be so much more if you just fucking pulled it together and did more than what you're doing right now, and. I think that's kind of like the weird tragedy of this movie. Is that like Well that's the 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 underside of what you're saying too is Nick Frost's character, right? Yes, yeah. Well, I think it's I mean, I hate to say it because they the you know, the movie's about their friendship to a certain extent, but I feel like the movie when you're willing to detach yourself from Sean long enough to realize the state of his life, you realize that his friend why is his name escaping me? What is his friend's name? I think his name is just Ed. Yeah. When you think about it, until the like very later parts of the movie, Ed is kind of the dead weight of the film. Like if you think about zombie movies have that one character that you can't trust because they're going to fuck everything up, that's Ed actually. I'm gonna like make, I'm going to make a hot take. Get your asbestos gloves on. Are you ready? Yeah. Ed is the Cooper of this movie. Oh, one hundred percent. In fact, uh, the 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 big difference here is that uh, that you know Ed gets some redemption because he gets to be a zombie in the shed playing video games for the rest of whatever Sean's life. Yeah, like that. You know, that's the sort of fun note of it all. But like, part of the reality is like sometimes you outgrow your friends. Oh yeah, that's just that's just the truth. And so that's where the movie is. And and I think you're right. Like, despite Pete sort of getting set up as like a joke and you know a, a a prick or whatever he's actually relatable especially now that i'm older i'm like i get it pete man like the house is pretty gross and all it does is sell weed and play video games like who wants to be in that place and, in your 30s and not only that not only that like it, it gets overlooked when like he comes downstairs when they're playing fucking electro at like three in the morning and he's like what the fuck are you guys doing and he's like furious and ed's like look or uh, Sean's like, look, you know, Liz and I broke up tonight. And Pete just has this, like, moment of, like, quick sympathy of, like, all right, dude, just knock it the fuck off. 
And then Ed starts talking shit, and he's the one who makes the situation worse. It's not like Pete is completely willing to be like, all right, like, this is annoying as fuck, and I have to work in the morning, but, like, my man's going through some shit right now. Like, he gets a pass. And then it gets made worse by the guy we're supposed to relate to, which is this fucking useless, deadweight Ed. He really is. The only thing I'll say about him is that he's right about the gun, which, like, by the <laughs> way, I, is the thing where I was kind of like, of course he's going to be right about the gun. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just knew. But, you know, that. But that's yet again another magical moment in the movie where he's like, uh, dogs can't, can't look, look up. up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's so good. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's worth saying that, okay, um, Part of this movie might ride on the fact that it, whether you find the constant um, wittiness, so the the movie is smart in two ways: it's self-referential, it 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 cycles on itself a lot, and it's as you pointed out, referential to a ton of other movies. Sometimes in not obvious ways, and sometimes in very obvious ways. If you're someone for whom all that reference, all that cycling on things, and uh, coming back on itself, and even you know, it really recreating a whole scene. Right? We have the first scene where he walks to the store and gets the ice cream, and then we have the next scene where he walks to the store and everyone is basically dead around him, and he just doesn't notice. Right? All those sequences, there, there is that feeling of like. Uh, almost like a meta self-reference as well as a reference to the genre and all that stuff. If that is to you corny and not smart or not charming, you might not like this movie. If you're someone who for whatever reason missed it and you're waiting for us to sell you on the movie, but you're like, I don't know. I don't, all that stuff sounds dumb to me. I could see you not loving this movie for me. It's brilliant. And I, and, and I, I am still, finding stuff when I'm watching it like, oh, oh, that's funny. You know what I mean? Like yeah. little bits here and there that I didn't notice the first six times I saw this movie or whatever. Um, and so uh, I think that stuff is, to me, very good. Uh, and also, you know, this is Edgar Wright's first feature, I think. I think he had a, sh- a, a real low-budget movie before this one. But this is his first big feature. And he has such a visual language already. Like it's so um, stylistic and yes. it's so... Uh, well done that like I'm just so utterly impressed by that so like I hope that stuff would come across but I you know I just want to acknowledge for some people the 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 feature is going to be a bug you know the thing that I find brilliant might not work for everyone uh I I think one of the the things that really appeals to me um on an emotional level is how there's a lot of really really tender moments in this movie that are, I mean, they're, they're, they're like a lot of relatable moments, but then there's like, they're, 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 there's a few scenes that are like, that are genuinely heartbreaking. Like, I think the scene when um, um, Bill Nighy, his, his death, which is amazing. That character is so yes. fucking funny. Um, the way that they take a, like a running joke to the first act of the movie, which is he's not my dad, and then they turn that into this like really like poignant moment where, you know, they do the whole idea of, like, zombies are not your loved ones anymore. And, like, Sean says, like, well, he was my dad, but he's not anymore. It's, like, it's like a it's like kind of played for laughs, but it's also, like, it really shows that, like, Sean has accepted this fact about this man who has been his father his whole life. You know, like, 
for even though the guy's not related to him, when 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 Nye is dying and he gives Sean this like you know like. I loved you. I am proud of you, and I just want you to be the best person that you possibly could. And I, you know, I I didn't want to take your father's place. I just wanted to help you be, help you become the person that I that I knew you could become. That is such a fucking powerful moment in this movie from a character who, up until that point, is just played as like the grumpy asshole who you're like, fuck that guy. And then immediately after that, immediately after that is is one of the greatest jokes in the entire movie when they're playing this like weird. It's like. Uh, like fucking 45 grave I think it is and it's like blasting and as they're you know earlier in the movie he's like could you please turn that racket down and then like he's in the car and Sean's talking to his mom and in the background you see him like in the car like and Sean's like telling his mom there is nothing left of the man that you loved in there and then right as he says that now he like turns the music off that is like fucking Jimi Hendrix playing the national anthem at fucking Woodstock for me it is so perfect and just Oh my god! Um, and then the scene where Sean's mom dies is just—I'm um, sorry—gets killed. Uh, that is like up there with Ken Foray shooting. Um, and I feel like a fucking poser because I don't know the guy's name. When fucking Roger shoots Pete and and and, and Don—spoiler alert! Right, right, it's, right, right. Oh my god! It's like it's it's one of those moments in a movie where it's so grim. And so sad, and there's 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 no jokes around that because it's like immediately at like she dies, and immediately after that, um, we see. For me, one of the like I think the way that that guy gets I forget his name. He's like the shitty boyfriend who's like you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. That guy's death is David. At, David, David. Yeah, that guy's death is as visceral as anything like Tom Savini does in like any of the original of the dead films. Like, oh, it, it, it's one of the greatest tear apart scenes in horror history. It is so fucking bananas because there's like there's gore in the movie up to that point and you know whatever, but that just comes out of, like every time I watch that, I'm like, fuck, I wasn't ready for that at all. Because it, it, it just—I mean—it looks like they literally—it looks like they really tear a person apart. Like it looks like they were just like, yeah, like actually kill that guy and then rip him to pieces. Like you'll be fine. <laughs> like, oh my god, this fucking this movie just has it all. And that's what I mean. Is like it has these moments of like actual horror that are genuinely frightening. Like I don't know why this—the shot of when they're in the car trying to get it started right outside their apartment. And Sean looks over and he sees like zombified Pete walking out of the house. I don't know why, but that scene just fucking chills me. There's just something that's so frightening about that. That like really, I, I don't, I can't. I, it's just like like a, like a, on a very primitive level of like they are fucked. And there's so many moments like that where there's like there's like genuinely terrifying moments. Um, but then there's a scene where they beat a zombie to death to a fucking Queen song. You know, it's like it, it, this. This movie is just it, it's it's so flawlessly blends these genres together without ever actually you know falling more in you know more into one than the other. That I just think that's such a delicate balancing trick, and it just yeah. it, it really deserves a lot of credit for that alone. It's been long enough that I don't think people are having this argument anymore. But when the movie came out, a lot of people were trying to figure out: is it a um, satire of horror films or a satire of romantic comedies which is by the way a very boring argument to have so if you've had this argument or you're thinking about having this argument just let it go 
I think if you had to choose one, I feel like there is a bit of a skepticism about romantic comedies. But it's not the point. The point is we're going to use this uh, scenario of a zombie apocalypse to talk about manhood and friendships yeah. and relationships and all these things. And you know what's interesting is, uh, for me, is like, yeah, it's about Sean's relationship to Liz, but it's also about Sean's relationship to Ed and Sean's relationship to his, himself. And so, it, in a way, it's more successful than a lot of romantic comedies that would only focus on one of those things, you know, maybe two. Uh, and this movie is is Sean's life as a whole and about how these people are going to relate to each other in this crisis. And it of it manages to make Sean very endearing, even as you are painfully aware of his flaws yes at no point does it try to lionize him uh you you see his mistakes you see where he's actually very on top of it compared to his compatriots but he makes some very dumb decisions and you know uh he has he has space to grow right um but also when it ends sort of relatively on an upbeat note that's believable as well. It doesn't feel unearned. It feels like, yes, I believe that these people have come together and that now, you know, Sean is uh, more capable of being a full human than he was before. That all feels real. At yeah. no point does it feel like we didn't get there or we just sort of jumped there. Yeah. And, you know, going back to what you said, it, it's about um, man, what it means to be a man is. Uh, again, going back to his relationship with his his stepfather, I I, th- I think there is kind of like a like a sort of like battling masculinity there. Like I'm not going to let this guy replace like the man in my life, like the father in my life, and he doesn't accept that until it's like way too late. And obviously, there's you know, like I said, there's a real fucking tragedy there. But yeah, just 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 the idea of like you know, we have a hero who is more often than not survives completely by accident um i I just i don't know this it's just if you want to know like (laughs) if i'm if i'm if i'm rambling and i'm gushing and i'm just falling over myself just go read the this justin where i talk about this in an american war for london where i i talk about it in a far more cohesive manner than i am currently able to well i think just you know we Obviously, we chose these two movies um, because their names are similar. <laughs> but um, I think it's worth noting, you know, as we transition into the next movie, that what Shaun of the Dead is able to accomplish is very difficult to tell a human story that is fucking full of laughs, that is visually stunning at times, like the camera work, the editing. This is a, a truly impressive piece of. Uh, a filmic achievement uh, and still respects the horror movies that it is in lineage with that you at no point feel like these people don't give a fuck about the history of these movies. These are fans and they're, they're doing something different, but they clearly respect the genre from which it comes. All that stuff is really clear to me uh, and is somewhat thrown into even further relief by our next movie, one of the dead. Well, I also just wanted to say that it's worth pointing out this movie came out in 2004, right before right. the entire world became obsessed with zombies. And Right. You could argue that this movie was a part of that. Yeah, that yeah. I mean, no doubt. I mean, this it's movie like, did very well. I mean, it's, it's, it's like this, this movie was so well received that George Romero himself saw this movie and was like, 
I want to fucking meet these guys. And I he cast them. I mean, they have like bit roles in like Land of the Dead, but it's like there is like the special features on this are when like he flies in to surprise Simon Pegg and meet him. And it is like it's a really like adorable thing seeing like like this is they didn't make this movie. They didn't come up with like, wouldn't it be funny if instead of Dawn of the Dead, it was like Shaun of the Dead. Like they wanted to make a zombie movie that paid tribute to their favorite films of all time. And then when right. they got to meet Romero, it was like an actual like, we're meeting George Romero. Like, holy shit, he likes our movies. Like, this is a love letter to these movies. And that comes across in how, like, the genuine love that the people who made this movie have for horror films as a whole comes across. And it, that, that's more than you can say about 90% of, the, of, the, of, the, of the, the films that followed this in the 10 years after it when, like, you know, we just said zombie movies became like fucking everything and everyone and their mom were making zombie movies. So that's Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, it's it's great. If for some reason you haven't seen it or the rest of the Cornetto trilogy, now is a good time. I cannot recommend these movies enough. If you like, if you want to like have like hearty laughs, you're gonna you're gonna, and then you're gonna cry too. You're gonna be you know whatever. It's it's all there. It makes you feel things. It makes you feel like a fucking human being, which we all need. So we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about 2010's Juan de los Muertos. AKA One of the Dead. We'll be right back. Nota oficial. En estos días han sucedido algunas alteraciones de la disciplina social causados por grupúsculos de disidentes pagados por el gobierno de los Estados Unidos. Este no es un disidente. Vampiros. Eso no son americanos, viejo. Juan de los muertos, matamos a sus seres queridos, ¿en qué puedo servirle? Los disidentes son lentos, por lo menos eso está a nuestro favor. Y al parecer aguantan mucho el dolor. Parece que están drogados. que ese edificio nos tape la puesta de sol. And we are back to talk about 2010 zombie comedy film written and directed by Alejandro Burgues. It's a Spanish-Cuban co-production um, called Juan of the Dead. Um, and it's uh, Juan is a forty-year-old. He's forty years old. He's devoted the majority of his life to living in Brook in Cuba, in Brooklyn, doing absolutely nothing. He's like a slacker, and then he, the you know, shit hits the fan, and he has to rise up to uh, you know take care of things. Sounds vaguely familiar, doesn't it? It does. It does. It does. It does a little bit. Uh, I'm just gonna say up front, I wasn't nuts about this movie. Unlike Shaun of the Dead, which didn't feel like they came up with a clever title and then worked around it. This feels almost like 
that's exactly what they did. I think it kind of shows in that this movie doesn't really have much to say about anything except maybe like the, you know, authoritarianism in Cuba, which I thought was like the most interesting thing about this movie. Mm. Uh, but other than that, I, I just, you know, this movie doesn't hit the same way that Shaun of the Dead hits. Well, I mean, I, this is the problem, right, with naming your movie One of the Dead, is that I'm obviously going to compare it with the very recent Shaun of the Dead, yeah. because that was that was clearly your inspiration. Um, I'm also going to compare it with other zombie movies, uh, and you know, it, it, while it's better than maybe the bottom of the barrel, uh, it's just not going to ring like a real sort of horror movie when it's clearly supposed to be a comedy. Uh, for me, I think I'm a little more positive on it than you are. Uh, I'll start with the good because I think the bad for me is of a particular kind of bad that I think is worth talking about. Okay. The things that, the things I like about this movie is I personally found it funny and I don't know that, uh, you were as into the humor aspect of the movie as I was. Um, there's a lot of very particular humor here about Cuba and uh, about the culture of Cuba that I liked. There were a lot of shots at not just Cuba, but at America, at Spain, at the rest of the world, all of which I thought landed pretty good. And there's just a, a general vibe here of like what it's like to be a low-level hustler who's never had to be responsible for anything in in their lives. And I think there's a way that the movie sort of deals with that that I think is, you know, kind of, you know, it is what it is. And 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 honestly the the joke of it, I think that the insight that he had is like, okay, we've seen the way different cultures respond to zombies uh, around the world. What would it even be like if there was something like that here in Cuba? And it's interesting that the, you know, the government immediately collapses, which, you know, I think is a very cynical view. Like, clearly, the director has a has a view of the Cuban government. I think a lot of Americans would agree. I don't know. Looking at the strength of their healthcare system and how they keep shipping doctors all over the world because they have so many doctors, I don't know that they would be this bad at a zombie apocalypse, per what, se. What country, what country would you say, just any country off the top of your head, <laughs> that if right now there was a zombie apocalypse... What country do you think would fall like a fucking cheap, huh. like a cheap dollar yeah. bill? Huh. I can't. Hmm. It, it's, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Uh, well, at least right now, I can name one. No. Um, so I, I think all that works. And But I do, as much as I am skeptical of how completely Cuba would fail this particular situation, uh, it is an interesting take to say immediately someone would, sh- would sort of uh, answer the need to kill zombies for profit. Like, no, Juan is at no time a humanitarian. He simply wants to make money, and so he's going to do it. I also like the idea, and and I think I have some insight about this because I got to see this director talk about this movie twice because I saw it at Fantastic Fest, and then when it played in Philly at the Trocadero, he was there and talked about it. So um, I got to hear him talk about it, and... Part of what he wanted to do that I think the movie covers is the idea that for him as a kid growing up, having his uncle mail him VHS of various horror movies from New York, those were not known in Cuba. Yeah. You know, his big idea is like no one would know what was happening because we don't know what zombies are. That when he was growing up talking to his, you know, friends about the horror movies he was seeing from America, they didn't know what the fuck he was talking about and didn't necessarily care either. <laughs> so 
this is one of the things that doesn't get covered as much or maybe is only starting to be covered in zombie things that we all know about zombies so if you're going to have a movie with romero zombies then what you're going to have is a population who mostly knows what to do now the only way to catch them off their guard is to do you know non-romero zombies well that's then i think people would be like oh shit what the fuck that was one of the I, i have another point that i actually do like about this movie i want to make but real quick that was one of the things that I really liked about the Walking Dead comics and the TV show is that sure. when this shit started hitting the fan, everyone was just like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, it wasn't like, oh, you know, they're, they're zombies. Clearly, we have to do this. It was just like, uh, uh, they're sick. Like, they're, uh, uh, they're, they're like, escape. I mean, what, what does Tony Todd say from, like, the their escape from, like, a mental asylum or something like that? Like, I do like the fact that um, the first thing they think it kind of harkens back to like the you know entrenched Catholic culture of Cuba, in that the first thing they think is like they're possessed by demons. Like, these, oh yeah, sure. These are demons, clearly. And then their second thought is uh, maybe they're vampires. And then it's like only after like they are seeing these things out, they're like, oh, they're they're well. They keep calling them dissidents as well, which I thought was well, kind of interesting. That- Oh, I love that because that's what the government keeps saying that this is that all this stuff that's happening is the United States is trying to destabilize their government. And yeah. that's what's causing this situation. It's the Bay of um, Pigs round two. You know, they're doing it with fucking crazy yeah. people this time. <laughs> but, you know, so I, I like that the humor of that. I do think I, I will sort of side with you. I, I do think this movie is about something and that it's about um, a feeling that uh, may, that. I, I get the feeling that the director thinks that while there are aspects of Cuba that are sort of like, you know, kind of like paradise, that you don't have to be in a rat race in a lot of ways, that for a lot of people, it takes away their ambition for whatever reason. Yeah. For him as a Cuban, what he sees is a lot of people who feel like they don't have to try at much. And that's where Juan is at, that, you know prior to this zombie apocalypse, he hasn't really tried to do a whole lot. Now he's trying to like get through this thing and maybe make a profit. Um, but that being said, while I do think it's about something, I don't think he has much of like a plot. And I realize there's some limitations here. Like it's worth noting y'all, not a lot of movies get made in Cuba. And this is the first, as far as I know, and I remember when the director was, you know, touring with this movie as far as he knew the first horror movie that was made in cuba certainly the first zombie movie um so like it wasn't easy to make this movie it wasn't easy to do the special effects the reason it's a co-cuba spain production is that there isn't money in cuba to pay for this movie even though the budget is not large what budget there was came from spain it did not come from anyone in cuba uh so there are some limitations here on to where they can be where they can film what they can do but it still feels like there's not a lot of like narrative momentum. Once we get through the first initial round of jokes and setups and bits, you know, it's it's very much a gimmicky film. There's not like it's not clear that they know where to go with it. Yeah. The intro- the introduction of the missionary, I think on one hand is great because that's a funny joke. That there, I'm sure there are a ton of missionaries in Cuba trying to win over the communist heathens. Um, but they don't know what to, it's, it's almost like a wasted joke because instead of it just being a joke, it's a plot point because they don't know where else to go with the movie and to eventually be like, we're just going to make a raft and float away. It, it, it 
is fine, it's fine because that it it sort of admits that the only future for anyone for this director in, in there is to like float away, you know, is to escape. Yeah. Sure, whatever. That's fine. That's a perspective to have. I'm not going to judge that too hard, whatever. But it comes across and I think you said like the ending feels like it, it it's just perf- perfunctory. That's how it's going to feel because there's not a lot of momentum to the whole movie. It's like you discovered that Juan was finally good at something, which is killing zombies, which really just means he's good at killing very slow, stupid people. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, that, there, yeah. There's yeah. no other insights after that. That's the whole thing is that he's good at killing zombies, but like, there just hasn't been, and I get it. This is a first time feature from a guy who like didn't go to film school, who's like really like putting this together from scratch, like just after watching a bunch of horror movies on VHS. So like you know the bar, I don't want to lift the bar too high, but I do think there's not a lot here that's amazing. It's like a mildly amusing film at its best, yeah. Which makes the negative stuff we're going to talk about in a sec even more negative but i just want to start off with generally positive which is i think it's an amusing movie but it seems to lack a strong narrative direction agreed it's not i mean i didn't like this movie but i didn't hate this movie i don't think this movie is a bad film per se it's just right um it doesn't really have much to say and it doesn't really do anything which in a way to me is worse than a like flagrantly bad movie it's not sure. it's not boring um but it, it's just kind of like okay like i watched it and i was like that happened which is a terrible reaction to have to a film um but what we're about to talk about now actually kind of does take away from this movie and that is gay panic there is a strong amount of um, homophobia in this movie, which is weird considering there is a prominent gay character. <laughs> there is a straight up uh, effeminate gay character in this movie who's, I don't know you call any of these people heroes, but is one of our main characters we're supposed to care about. Yeah. And despite the fact that this is apparently one of Juan's few co-workers in life, one of the few people he relates to, it's they don't they're not friends, but they at least are, you know, colleagues. Uh he's co- him and his friend are constantly making these gay panic jokes the whole movie. And I you know, there's always going to be some um uh, fellow uh, Latino person who's going to tell me, well, that's just part of our culture, man. That's just machi-. the same way that, like, whenever you bring up uh, Latinx, there's someone who wants to say, that's why we lost Florida because it's so offensive. To first of all, Spanish speaking people across the world are not a monolith, so let's be, be yeah. clear about that. Second of all, uh, we lost Florida because of Cubans, which again is related to this movie. Um, but uh, uh, the reason for that is because of their fear of socialism, not because of uh, what letter you put at the end of Latin, exactly, Latin, you know. But putting all that aside, it is true that there can there is at least the stereotype that a lot of cultures in that area of the world have a strong kind of heterosexual, heterosexist, let's say, masculinity vibe. Yeah, but but he, that's no reason to excuse anything that happens in this. No, movie. and here here's here's why here's why I will not excuse this film for that reason. And what I'm about to say is going to start out sounding like a joke, and but then you're going to realize that I'm being 100 percent serious. 
I am an unapologetic and unironic fan of the film Con Air. I think Con Air is one sure. of the greatest action films of all time. It's one of my holy sure. trinity of Nick, Nick Cage films. There is a character in that film who is a Hispanic, uh, very uh, effeminate gay man. At no point do any of these like badass, traditionally macho other prisoners look down on this man at all. To them, he is just another prisoner. They they don't treat him any differently. They don't like. There's one scene where he's dancing around the plane in a, in a very like effeminate way, and they're not like revolted at it. Like there is not one mention made of the fact that this guy is a quote unquote flaming homosexual. Like if Jerry fucking Bruckheimer in a movie with Nick Cage and Ving Rhames about a hijacked plane full of convicts is smart enough to make a character like that and present them like that, there's no, you have no excuse. You have no excuse to be as bad as the character is treated in this movie. I think that, and I hate to say this, but I think that it's very likely the director is thinking, oh, this is just a realistic representation. And, and I, you know, I get that to the extent of like when you see a movie like, um, Oh, the name just escaped me. That uh, set in the '90s skateboard movie. That what's his that oh, Jonah Hill mid '90s. Yeah, mid '90s. I get that. Like, oh well, those characters, those boys in the '90s would have talked to each other that way. Whatever, fine. You want that to be your thing, whatever. Um, I just don't think it carries as much water as people think. And I think in this case, especially when. Um, sure, they're not. They, it, he doesn't get along well with this other character, but to have this character, I mean, I hope it's not the director's thinking. Well, I've got a gay character, so therefore it's okay if Juan makes uh, uh, homophobic comments because it's it's not okay. It's not okay, and it rubs me. And I, the only thing I will say is, I wish I could say, "Oh, this movie's from 2010." Well, that's so out of character for 2010. Uh, I, no, there's still a lot of horrible, horrifying gay panic shit in 2010. I can think of uh, movies I covered for Eric Roberts is the fucking man that were like next level offensive things that were made around that time and later. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying that this is extraordinary for 2010 or anything like that, but I am saying it, it takes a movie that could be seen as you know, aimless but charming and kind of funny or whatever. You know, I, I I thought lots lots of things in the movie were endearing to some extent. It takes those things and it just makes them not good because it's distracting. Yeah, you know, it's distracting the way it's done. And they even have a visual gag to play off one of these gay jokes. It just doesn't work, and it just it it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to slam this movie hard. I, I, there's a lot here that is amazing that this movie got made, and that um, you know how successful it is for what it is. But I just can't pretend I don't care. It sincerely bummed me out, and I it's even more so because when I saw first saw this movie back in 2010, it didn't bother me as much. And so knowing that this past decade, I've grown to the point where it. Is more distasteful to me now. Is not like uh, okay. It's like I'm a, I'm mildly disgusted that I wasn't more disgusted when I first saw this movie. I mean, I was uncomfortable, but I wasn't as bummed out as I am now. Yeah. No, I got you. 
<sighs> Man, it's such a bummer because I know you were saying, you know, you didn't love this movie. I think it's kind of charming. I think I was a little bit won over, you know, hearing from the director and hearing how, you know, this was really something he was writing in a vacuum because there just isn't the same culture around horror in Cuba for obvious reasons, you know, like various embargoes and shit and whatever. But um, I think that the movie, I mean, it sucks to say this, but it's just true. If the movie was better, maybe I would be more forgiving of the gross things in it. You know, maybe I wouldn't. But what I was struck by on this viewing was like, A, those moments are painful and they kind of are like, you know, again, they're not particularly cruel. Don't think like there's some like horrible, you know, uh, act of violence or anything like that. They're not that, but they aren't pleasant and they are more than is needed. You know what I mean? Yeah. They they exceed what is necessary to even establish a character per se. Um, And then the parts of the movie that are good are just not that good. And so you, you end up being like, at least for me, man, why this, I kind of wish this didn't exist. You know what I mean? Like I kind of wish the first horror movie out of Cuba was something that was just a little more successful than this. Yeah. It's telling that the only thing that I really thought was like clever. And I was like, no, I'll give that to him. Was the scene like kind of towards the end um, when Juan and his homie, they're like, uh, they're about to like escape on, you know, in, into the water and his friend is like, you know, I got bit back there. And they have this like really powerful goodbye. And then they're waiting. And it's like, I guess I didn't get bit. I guess it was just like something else. I was like, okay, that was, uh, that was like a, that was okay. You know, because like there's always that scene in these movies where like the one character. Right. And I was like, okay, I guess that was like a clever subversion of like a, what we expect from this movie. But even that wasn't really all that fucking mind blowing. Right. So well, and and especially because they use that moment to make more gay jokes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's it. I actually that that is actually the perfect example of what I what I'll say. I think that was really smart because they're in so many melees in this movie, guys. Like they fight off a lot of zombies, so that part is kind of fun. You know, all the zombie fighting and considering no one on set is like a choreographer, those scenes come off okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. They're, they're all fine. But the idea that like you would get hurt and you're like, that's it for me, and you're just waiting for it to happen and it just never happens, I do think that's kind of smart. It's kind of witty. And they use that scene to make a uh, to make a joke about like, oh, I'm into you and I want to suck your dick and all this stuff. And it's just like such a distraction from what could have been a pretty funny scene. It makes it kind of gross. And you know, not that that's like the harshest uh, joke in the movie. There's stuff that's goes over the borderline to more offensive than that. But it does feel like why waste your time with some, again, let's call it hetero anxiety, this fear that that someone might think you were actually gay. Like, who cares? You know what I mean? Who cares um, when there are hordes of ghouls trying to eat you? Like that, like, yeah. like that would be like if someone was like, there's like a thousand zombies down the street. They're coming to kill us. Are you gay? I'd be like, sure. Let's get the fuck out of here. The the idea that it would be horrifying to you to find out as he was dying that your best friend was actually gay and wanted to perform fellatio on you. 
why would you give a fuck? Like, I just don't understand. You know what I mean? It's we're just at a different point in the world now. I think um, maybe I don't know. I kind of would hope we were there then, but you know, obviously that's not true because 2010 there was a ton of gross stuff coming out. So I, I you know, I don't want to slam this too hard in a way, but I also don't want to excuse it. You know, I don't want to say it's worse than um, your average 2010 blockbuster. Honestly, yeah, but. Uh, but it's it's uh, watching it now. It it takes what could be like mediocre but fun, and makes it mediocre and not fun. Yes, agreed, agreed. So we don't want to spend too much time on it. Um, uh, uh, you know, respect that it got made. Uh, I hope the director isn't you know uh, in a situation where he can't make more things because that would suck. Uh, but I do hope uh, whatever he makes in the future has. Um, a bit more of an inclusive tone to it that doesn't make a joke out of uh, the people uh, that people you know fall in love with and are attracted to and all that stuff. Yes, I agree. So that's one of the dead. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much. Um, if you like this episode, and if perchance this is the first episode you listen to, you can head to www.cinepunks.com to check out more episodes of this podcast and log a fucking gaggle of other great podcasts. Um, and a bunch of other cool stuff. You know, I write on there sometimes. You know, Liam has like a like I think Liam has like twenty podcasts on there now. Stop. Um, <laughs> uh, if you want to donate to our Patreon, it's patreon.com backslash cinepunks. Like we said before, be sure to visit www.xlvacx.com for Lehigh Valley Apparel, Apparel Creations and www.essex coffee roaster singular. I think it's roasters. Roasters.com. Uh, and enter Cinep- promo code Cinepunks for 10% off. Thank you to both those sponsors for sponsoring us. And thank you to our Patreons, our patrons for being Patreon, for p- p- patronizing us on Patreon. <laughs> I just had a stroke. You're um, killing it. I'm you're killing, killing it. it. Like I'm like Johnny Five, like melting down. Um, if you're listening to us on iTunes, be sure to rate, view, rate, review, subscribe, and download, download, download. And um, I guess like the last fucking thing. Also, follow us on, inter- on, on Instagram and, 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 and Twitter at the horror biz with a Z666. Yeah, and if, you, if you're a patron and you've donated in the appropriate slot, like $10 or more, fucking message us. Message me with your shirt size and your address because I got some shit for you people. And until next time, uh, I don't know who Liam's bullshit senator out there is, but fuck Pat Toomey forever. Cool. Peace. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode, we'll share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts! Hey! Hey!